All right, we are back. I have a special guest, folks. You know I'm an entertainer. Uh, I've got the show here, the podcast. But I have our Tachi Financial Group, and I've partnered up with great uh, RIA firms like Independent Solutions, Peak Broker Services. Peter Nielsen uh, has recently joined uh, the Wealth Management Independent Solutions. But let me tell you, he's definitely not a rookie. He He's a very smart fellow. When he speaks, I listen. Uh, he's worked in the finance industry for 30 years. He had many institutional investors, ranging from pension and mutual funds. He does custom portfolios. He's also good friends with Paul Meeks, which I love, Paul. And, um, you know, he 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 has a, a few portfolios that I want him to talk about. He has a momentum portfolio. You may call him a contrarian. And uh, I want him to talk about what he thinks is going on in the market now. He is a chartered financial analyst. He has his Master of Business Administration from Simon Fraser University, a Bachelor of Business Administration from Trinity Western. He sits on the board of the Chartered Financial Analyst Society of South Carolina. And, man, this guy doesn't have a lot of free time. He's an adjunct professor at Anderson University. Hmm. So, uh, Peter, are you online? I am, yeah. Awesome. So, you know... This market still just baffles me, and that's all right. I love to talk to someone like you. Now, Charlie, my guest here, uh, he's been investing a long time himself. I, I saw your your update of the last year, and I cannot believe some of the numbers. We have the S&P that, that wound up 28%. We look at real estate that was up about 39%. U.S. bonds no surprise they were down uh, you know a little less than 2% global bonds i did notice in your report that international stocks had about a 7 you know uh, 7.8% return so the first question peter is you know what everyone wants to know where do you think we go from here in 2022 um <laughs> well the uh, i can give you the consensus outlook yes uh, so the consensus outlook is that the S&P 500 hits 5,000. So if you take an average of all of the, um, uh, the big Wall Street contributors to the consensus, uh, they end up about 5,000. So that's not a very inspiring uh, outlook because it only represents gain of about 5%. Now, you add in the dividend, you get about a 6.5% return. So... Uh, you know, yeah, it, it's it's not very inspiring. But there is an old Wall Street saying that goes, "Please don't grow to the sky," and I think that's pretty apropos. In the last three years, we've seen the S and P five hundred rise twenty nine percent in twenty nineteen, sixteen percent in twenty twenty, and twenty seven percent last year, twenty eight and change with the dividend, as you quoted. So, um, you know, we we can't. It's, it's unreasonable to expect fat double-digit returns every year from the stock market. So I, I think investors have to temper their expectations for 2022. Uh, that, that's exactly. See, they've gotten spoiled, and they think the last three years is reality. When, if you go back 2021, let's say 20, let's go back to the year 2000. We're talking about 5.5% annualized returns. That's factoring in the 2008, all the ups and, you know, the manic depressive swings. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I've always 
believe me, I'm a lackey layman compared to you because you are very cerebral, my friend. But I've always thought somewhere between six and eight percent sustainable over time is more reality. But in the last three years, yes, if you can't make people 20 percent going forward, they don't want to hear what you have to say. But Peter, don't you think inflation is rearing its ugly head in a direction that we don't need right now? Oh, yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, I think inflation has surprised everybody. Um, and the recent Fed minutes said as much. Uh, they said in their minutes inflation was higher than most uh, participants expected on the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, you saw that last year with Goldman Sachs. At the beginning of the year, Goldman Sachs forecast inflation to be about 2.5%. Well, by the end of the year, they increased their inflation forecast to 6.8% and so forth. So so these are unusual times we live in. And I think think that statistic more than anything is telling you about that. Uh, And it's going to be more persistent. We had just this morning an announcement from a a grocery chain out of the United Kingdom saying that they're going to increase the the price of their goods 5% across the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's the thing. I know they're telling us that inflation's around six and a half percent. I got to tell you, I don't buy that. You know why? Autos are up thirty five percent. Real mm-hmm. estate is up almost forty percent. The cost of lumber, the grocery store. I'm sorry, but I they they're they're reporting six and a half percent. I don't believe that. And and here's the other thing. We don't know what the Fed's going to do in monetary policy. I mean, how much longer can they keep interest rates so artificially low? Well, they're they're, they're not. Uh, so, um, the uh, Chicago Mercantile Exchange they have a uh, they have a, a nice uh, table that they provide the applied probabilities from swap contracts, Fed fund swap contracts. So. You can see the market's estimate of where Fed funds is going by the swap contracts and how they're priced. And if you look out to say oh, you know, May this year, uh, the market's forecasting an 87 percent, 84 percent, pardon me, uh, probability of an increase in uh, the Fed funds rate. Okay. So, uh, and then if you look towards any year, it's like 99 percent, and and within that, there is uh, like a, a wide likelihood of at least three rate hikes, probably four. For 2022, so, right? They announced for 2022, correct. Right. Well, here's the other thing. And Paul talked about this. There's the um, wage inflation as well. I mean, they're raising the minimum wage. And that's going to really hurt a lot of businesses who have to pay some kid or gal from high school $15 to, you know, clean the tabletops or make a sandwich. And that's going to affect businesses. I think, I mean, Peter, a lot of people were spending money because they got these stimulus packages. And that that has always scared me personally. They're printing money, too much money. And of course, that's going to factor in inflation. But it almost seems like there's going to be an accounting where Things are going to be too expensive and people are going to draw back and stop spending. And as crazy as that sounds, uh, people spending money frivolously, they say, is good for the economy. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's, but it's not good for an individual no, who's planning to retire. Not at all. I mean, do, do you think maybe people will be spending less in 2020, 2022? 
<laughs> yeah, there, there's too much stimulus money. Uh, so, I mean, one, one of the problems with uh, government stimulus in a time of restrained economic output is, is that you have a uh, material supply-demand mismatch, right? So you have uh, fewer people producing goods. Uh, at the same time, you have more consumption. And that's why you're getting the spike in inflation up towards 7%. And it's likely to continue higher from what I read. And I, I think the government doesn't really fully appreciate how high inflation makes people feel miserable. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, That's right. So, um, but, you know, this is being political, driven by political ideology at this point. So it's, it's not like they're really considering that. Uh, although I hope uh, um, there are some on the uh, Democrat side of the aisle that are looking at it. But, um, yeah, look, inflation is, uh, there's something called the misery index, which consists of inflation plus the unemployment rate. Um, and, you know, when it gets high, it signals, you know, about widespread misery across the population. And, and that's the way it makes people feel. Uh, elevated inflation basically destroys your uh, the spending power of your capital. Now, it's interesting. Uh, as I was reading your report, you noticed that even... Uh, Last year, a lot of money was moving into defensive sectors like utilities, healthcare, real estate, and cyclical materials and industrials, which that makes sense to me. If the price of goods are going up, materials, industrials will do well. Uh, my God, healthcare with this Omicron, and of course, real estate has done well. Do you still think that that's going to be a play for 2022, those type of sectors? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, well, look at uh, let's look. Not that I'm recommending any particular stock, but uh, I was looking at uh, American Electric Power. Mm-hmm. It's got a three and a half percent dividend yield. So we're talking in an environment where Wall Street, uh, as a whole, is expecting very low returns, five percent, six percent. So if you can get a dividend yield that makes up half of that, that's kind of a safer play. But no wonder investors are moving into it. But the, the irony, I think, is energy. Energy has been such a stalwart this last year and probably will uh, going forward because the prices of uh, energy stocks are low uh, relative to their historical average. So, uh, But here we are in an environment where um, we have a government that's really promoting alternative energy and so forth and making it hard for these energy companies. And the stocks have been a great play. You know, talk about irony. Right, and and because bonds are not not a safe play, and as rates go higher, they're going to lose value. That you know, yes, of course, it's a it's a perfect storm for bullish equity buyers, but it's got to change. You know that old saying, that song, "What goes up must come down." So I want to ask you, what do you think could possibly disrupt the markets where we may have a sell off? I obviously if Omicron or another strain comes up, uh, that's probably not going to help things. But are there certain things you think that could maybe affect the market to either have a correction or people just want to sell off and play it safe for a while? Yeah. So the like we saw in 2018, uh, the, the, the market, uh, in my opinion, has become uh, increasingly interest rate sensitive. Uh, so this is going to be a little bit of arcane talk. Um, way to put it, but um, a lot of the growth stocks are have what they call a high duration sensitivity. So they are almost like akin to a 30-year bond 
So a 30-year Treasury bond will see the biggest price movement when uh, rates increase. So it'll it'll fall the most in price when uh, rates increase, 30-year rates increase. And so a lot of these growth stocks, like high growth stocks in particular, they're kind of akin to that. And so that's why we saw Salesforce, for instance, fall 8%. Uh, Meta or Facebook, as it uh, was once called, it fell 4% yesterday. So when the Fed minutes got released and it became uh, apparent that they were going to be more aggressive as far as uh, interest rate policy, uh, these stocks got hit the worst. And I, I think they're vulnerable. Uh, now, there's a reason they got so big, and that is they do offer uh, pretty fantastic sales and earnings growth. So you, you, I, I think it's I think there's always going to be selective opportunities there, but I think there are also uh, stocks that offer a uh, a higher degree of risk during a rate hiking cycle. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a guessing game, huh? Which is going to do better, value or growth in 2022? You know? Well, and- yeah. So, so the, the issue, like the the way value and growth is framed, is is perhaps a little misleading. Um, so we have our CIO, uh, Dan Neiman. He runs a value fund, and he looks at value a lot differently. So if you look at a value index, it's heavy in energy, it's heavy in basic materials, it's cyclical stocks. Sure. And what we've seen over the last decade is margins for miners, uh, chemical companies, um, uh, exploration production companies, uh, and so forth. They're, they've been under pressure for about 10 years. So there's good fundamental reasons, perhaps, why values are performed, um, but they're the ones that kind of fall into that Russell 1000 value index. Um, so when, when Dan looks at uh, value, he looks at it a little differently. He thinks, look, for the amount of money I'm paying, uh, you know, does the growth I'm getting make sense? There you go. So he looks at it a little differently. He doesn't look at it through the lens of, say, the Russell 1000 value index and so he's not a closet benchmarker. He's actually actively looking for good value plays. There you go. Interesting. Well, I do know that um, you're partnering up with Paul. I think uh, you you all you all have an equity income portfolio where you're looking for stocks that are paying nice dividends and maybe undervalued. Is that not correct in that portfolio? That is correct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, look, if they're already yielding. Three percent, and they have an upside of five to seven. That's a pretty good play, you know, because it's 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 almost non-correlated with the growth sector, technology, you know, all the high flyers. But I want you to talk about two other portfolios because uh, one of them is the uh, momentum portfolio, which uh, I know everyone's excited that you're bringing your expertise in that. How would you describe your momentum portfolio for those wanting something different out there? Yeah. So one of the things one of the things uh, we're seeing is uh, we have an environment where uh, you know real yields. So right now the real yield on the ten year Treasury is negative five point three percent. So so you're really in real terms after inflation you're losing five point three percent, and that's guaranteed. So so we're in an environment where bonds uh, aren't as safe as what they may seem. They they don't protect capital as they're intended, uh, just because of how high inflation is and how low yields are. 
So, so the, um, the momentum portfolio is basically a trend following portfolio. The idea of it is, is it, it, it compares uh, the prices of uh, different asset classes to their 10 month moving average. Um, and the historic assumption or what's been shown in academic literature is as assets rise above their 10 month moving average, uh, positive returns tend to persist. And so we're, we're just measuring that across a, a broad series of asset classes. And what we're doing is we're investing the top trending asset classes and getting out of the asset classes that are trending lower. Um, and, and in an environment where everything's crashing, we just move, the model just moves to cash. And so the way we see it uh, is this is an opportunity for the guy who should be in bonds, uh, but, you know, can't stomach you know, zero or negative returns to at least get exposure to the market with some downside protection. And Peter, how often do you rebalance that portfolio? And when you do, you know, how much of us, you know, do you move it 5%? I mean, how do you, I think we had spoken before where you have a specific criteria where you watch it so many days and you take the top performing ones. So how often do you make changes in this portfolio? Uh, once per month. Once per so month. Okay. We we, be, we we based it off a a paper that was published in the Journal of um, uh, it was a Journal of Financial Planning, uh, and um, in that paper, um, they rebalanced once a month, and we followed the uh, the paper uh, as exactly as we were able. Um, we make one change. We. Uh, the the asset class has to trade two percent above the ten month moving average ah. uh, in order to make a change. Um, just so we don't get like one asset class dropping in one month and then uh, out the next and so forth. So we we eliminate some of the uh, uh, switchback trades. So the model was more consistent after we did that. But aside from that, we try to follow the model exactly. So we you know the paper had the model rebalance once per month and we do the same. Okay, so then the other one is, it looks like international stocks and portfolios are becoming attractive again, when maybe a couple of years ago they were not. I mean, do you feel good about the, uh, you, you have an international portfolio, do you not? Yeah, yeah. So one of the things about uh, international stocks is uh, that people don't uh, realize is if, when, when you look at the outlook for every major uh, uh, investment management uh, firm around the world, their outlook for U.S. stocks is pretty low, uh, and uh, their outlook for, this is a 10-year outlook, the 10-year outlook for mm -hmm. national stocks is much higher than U.S. stocks by at least 50%. Wow. So uh, Morningstar, for instance, uh, their 10-year outlook for U.S. stocks is almost zero. Wow. <laughs> Holy <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Really? I mean, yes. even though it's done what it's done the last three years, they're looking at it. Well, they're looking at valuations. They obviously feel that stocks are way overvalued at this point. If, they, if they're thinking 10 years, it'll be flat or negative. But they think differently of the international equities. Yeah. So okay. uh, when, what, what, I, what we did uh, at Independent Solutions, we uh, tabulated all the 10-year uh, outlooks. And then we uh, took the median, and the median outlook for 
average annual return expectation for U.S. stocks is about 4.5%. Uh, for international developed markets, it's about 6 uh, for emerging market stocks, it's about seven. So um, you know, it's funny yeah, people okay. are listening to these numbers, going, "That's terrible," <laughs> because, but that's reality. That's reality. And and folks, I, I'm so lucky to be partnered with uh, Independent Solutions because for my clients, we can actually get a a a uh, Mr. Meeks or Mr. Nielsen on the phone to do a custom portfolio. The number to uh, Artachi Financial Group is 561-537-5897. That's 561-537-5897. Why this is so important is because even though I'm not allergic to annuities and, or insurance products, you know, I uh, they're just tools. Most people want to stay liquid and have it professionally managed by people like Peter Nielsen and Paul Meeks who are in this, I mean, geez, you've been doing this a long time. Does anything surprise you anymore, Peter, in, in this world of the stock market? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's always surprises. <laughs> I, think, I think last year, um, I don't know if you remember, but, but last year about this time, maybe late January, we had that whole swarm trade surrounding GameStop and yes. uh, AMC yes. and so forth. Yeah. Um, you know, and the use of social media to affect that, that was a big surprise. Well, here's, that the, came out of left field. here's the other thing. A lot of people are looking at cryptocurrencies going, hey, why don't you find me the next Bitcoin? And uh, <laughs> it's not quite regulated, but it's not going away because banks are custodians for it. They're making ETFs. So, but, but that's, talk about risk, huh? I mean, that crypto stuff. You can go to the moon like Ralph Cramden would say, or you can drop. I mean, what, yeah. what do you do? You have an opinion on cryptocurrencies? Um, I, I'm not an advocate for cryptocurrencies in investment portfolios. Right. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> the, the, I would say the problem is with crypto is is that uh, you know the, the experts that I I hear on CNBC and other uh, business networks. They they tout it as a hedge against uh, volatility, but it, it seems to move up with market and down with the market. Well. So to me, it doesn't really act like a hedge. No, I think if you're going to hedge risk, use like traditional assets, cash, gold, um, you know, things like that. Cryptocurrencies is like going to Vegas and throwing it. Yeah. I, people, there have been more millionaires made on it, but you know I'm conservative by nature, Peter, because most of my clients they remember if I lose the money. They don't remember how much I've made them because they're like, oh, well, you're supposed to do that. But man, that that crypto stuff, when you can be you can go to sleep and be down 30 percent. And I don't yeah. I, I there's no way that I would personally recommend it. Now, however, I have said on the record that if you want to take three to five percent of your holdings and you're an aggressive person by nature and you're willing to lose all that money to maybe make a hundredfold, then knock yourself out. You know, because it's money that uh, you were prepared to lose if it didn't go your way anyway. I mean, that's kind of like how I look at it. But to actually have a financial plan, hi, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, we're going to secure your financial retirement by buying cryptocurrencies. I don't think so. Maybe Wampa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I'd agree with that, dude. Yeah. 
So, uh, listen, always a pleasure. Um, and, folks, uh, Peter Nielsen from Independent Solutions. When are you going to come to Florida, my friend? You know, it's warm here. Oh, it's nice. <laughs> Uh, you, you might find me uh, being your next door neighbor sooner than you think, Denny. I I I heard rumors. That's why I'm asking. Um, what state does he live? Where are you right now, Peter? Are you? Oh, I'm in South Carolina. Okay. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, but he was in he was like in Canada for a while. Were you not living up there, uh, Peter? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I was born in Denmark. Uh, my family moved to Vancouver, Beach, British Columbia, when I was a kid. Okay. And uh, and then. Um, uh, I got recruited by, I worked for a pension fund up there, and then I got recruited by a mutual fund company in Washington State, where I worked for over a decade. And then from there, I, uh, I ended up moving to South Carolina. Well, I'll tell you, as soon as I think independent solutions can't get any better, they, they get a guy like you on the team, and it does get better. I appreciate it. My clients appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, doing more business and getting to know you better. Thanks for being a great guest, and thanks for giving us your opinion. We're going to take our next break, and uh, thank you so much. Peter Nelson from Independent Solutions, ladies and gentlemen. Bye-bye.